WBNJ HD Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Back down low, Kakanyemi behind the goal. Suzuki a centering pass, picked off, that'll do it. The Flyers hold on and spoil Carey Price's 33rd birthday. The Flyers hang on for the 1-0 victory, and Carter Hart becomes the youngest Flyer goaltender to record a shutout in the playoffs. You heard it right here on 97.3 ESPN. Tim Saunders with the call as the Flyers escape with a Game 2 victory over the Montreal Canadiens. They lead that series two games to one. Game 4 is tomorrow right here at 3 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. It's the Sports Bash. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, Josh Henning producing today's show. And you out there. Man, we got them all in play today. We got a Philly sweep over the weekend. We've got Sixers Celtics tonight at 6.30 on 97.3 ESPN. Game 1 of the NBA playoffs tips off right here on 97.3. We got a Flyers win, a Philly sweep, and by the way, two injuries today as the Eagles put the pads on and two key players already hurt. Oy. He had a big UFC card, too. Man, August is the greatest sports month of all time. Is that what it is? <laughs> I love the UFC card. Look at me being a UFCsman. I loved it. I texted you. I texted Josh. This is amazing. It's a great card. I thought this was better than 251. Well, I mean, yeah, the 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 trilogy, the the final fight between those two was just a, a great way it, to kind of It was end a it. phenomenal fight. A little underwhelmed that I didn't get to see the hype behind Sean O'Malley. It looked like he had a big-time injury there with his foot again. Um, but, look, I thought it was very entertaining, and I can't wait for the next one. I'm, I was already Googling the date of the next one. Uh, did you want to see a little USC fight on the ice last night? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded that. You didn't get it out of the power play, so oh, maybe man. I would have liked to see some spark out of some fights. Yeah, so I guess the first question is, uh, the Flyers win. Are you more like, yeah, they won ugly, and you got to win ugly and move on, or is there more concerned big picture about that power play, which Elaine Vigneault uh, said today he's going to have to make some changes. He kind of admitted that. Uh, Durso's going to join us at 2.30. He was on the Zoom call today uh, about with the Flyers, so we'll get an update on. You know, we were talking about lineup changes. They made a couple. They took Ghost out. They went with Hag, and obviously it worked out because, you know, Montreal, although it's weird. If you didn't see Montreal play all season long, doesn't it seem like you know the names of the players on that team way more than the Flyers? I mean, you hear Petrie's name almost every two seconds. You hear Domi's name like every two seconds. You hear Tatar's name. I mean, I could tell you Tatar, Petrie, McDonald. If you were just a common guy watching, you wouldn't be able to name a flyer, but you can name those three guys and the other guy. Um, Kakikniemi. Yes, there you go. Sometimes I struggle with that one. But, I mean, <laughs> it feels like they are constantly putting the pressure on you, but Carter Hart, man. Carter Hart was sensational. Now, I think I woke up this morning feeling better about the win than I did last night. Last night I was really frustrated because, you know, it looked like the Canadian speed made the flyers cough cough up the puck a couple times and turn the puck over. Scott Lawton had two brutal pizza deliveries right up the middle. Oh, hey, have this one. Are you kidding me with that? Right on Gallagher's stick. How can you possibly do that? Derek Grant with some turnovers as well. But when you look at the fact that this Flyers team in the third period 
blocked some shots, big-time shots. They blocked 24 shots in a 23-save performance by Carter Hart. I've been pretty consistent on saying that this team stayed true to their system all season long, and they stayed true to what Elaine Vigneault wanted to do in the D zone. While there were turnovers and things that made me unhappy, they stayed true to their system, and it worked. They blocked a ton of shots. They held on to that one nothing lead. So plenty of things to be upset about, but I feel better about it this morning than I did last night. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and I said I was watching the game last night, and I turned to my girlfriend I said, my God, this was the most boring win you could ever get. I mean, they scored like five minutes into the game, and it was an ugly goal, by the way. I mean, it was the kind of goal that you got to kind of find a way to get, just throw it on the net, a little tip in there from the top line. But oh, after that, I mean, that game was so boring, but you got to get those. You got to get those. And you wonder, though, is that the way – that's my question. Is that the way the Flyers are going to have to win a Stanley Cup like that? I, it has to be better than that. I, I think that, you know, some people were reaching out to me last night, Broads, you can't just rely on your goalie to win games all the time. And my response was, what are you talking about? Do you watch hockey? That's the only way teams win in the playoffs, right? I mean, the only reason why teams win Stanley Cups is because their goalie takes away the ride and, and goes for well, a huge run. I would agree with what you're saying. I, I'm a big proponent of obviously you need the goalie. But what the Flyers have always lacked in the past is a guy who can steal a series when your team is not playing to its capabilities. You can't rely on him to win every single game, every single night for you. But do you agree that, yes, he needs to steal a series in a, in maybe that seven games or five or six games that eh, you're just not playing your best, but he's good enough to get you through that. And then your team kind of follows along with him. Yeah, that's kind of what I – like the Blues last year um, – Biddington, he just got smoke fire. I mean, he just caught fire and won them a couple. I mean, he bailed them out of a series or two. Now, this year, not so hot. Yeah, now his backup is stepping in and winning games like they did last night after Braden Shen, of all people, scored the game. I like that, Shenner. Yeah, hey, we. I think that was a trade where both teams won. We got Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost, and they got Braden Shen. I think you end up with both teams winning the deal. But getting back to this Flyers third period specifically. Charlie O'Connor of The Athletic, he follows, um, he's the beat reporter for the Flyers, and that third period, the Flyers led the scoring chances 9-3 to in the final 20 minutes. And when you look at that period, you would think it was all Canadians while watching it. You would think it was the Flyers being on their heels. Well, that's what I'm, my point I'm making is I could tell you almost every Canadian's player's name because you just constantly hear them. It feels like they constantly control the game. Yes, and but that's no. not. But that's. But the point is, what you're making is it's not the case. Exactly, it's not the case, and that's why I woke up this morning feeling a little bit better. They stayed true to their system of, hey, we have a one nothing lead. Let's protect this one nothing lead, and let's find a way to block all the shots. What they were doing, blocking the shots, it was truly tremendous. But it comes down to you have a one to nothing lead yeah. in the third period, two power plays, and you don't get one shot on net. Not yeah, it's one amazing. shot on net. You get no. You get not a. Sh- were they one for twenty-five now in the 4% power play? Four percent power play. That's embarrassing. A four percent power play? Come on, the local team does better than that. It's bad, man. I mean, and you know, Elaine Vigneault said today he's going to make changes there. What changes do you make? I think at this point they're trying to be too cute. You see where they're trying to go from side to side, Claude Giroux looking for Voracek or looking for Couturier instead of. Getting it to Provorov and getting some shots on that. This is one thing that bothered me last night. You saw five minutes in, you scored a goal 
off an offensive zone faceoff where Claude Giroux took a shot on net from an awful angle. It wasn't a great angle by any means. He was essentially by the boards. He threw it on net, and it hit off Voracek and went in. If you saw that that worked to score a goal, how come you're not throwing pucks on net and getting in front of Carey Price? You already saw that work. You already saw that be effective. And now you're telling me that you're not going to shoot the puck on net? That blows my mind. Well, and I say this. Um, it, it, what did uh, What's the word? Uh, it, it, oh, greasy. It was a, a greasy, greasy win. Game. How yeah. do you like that? Do you not like that? Yeah, I like that. And okay. then uh, I saw Durso use that in the headline uh, of one of his stories up on 97.3 ESPN. Um, where What story? I saw him... Uh, uh, maybe he didn't use it in the headline. I don't remember. I saw him use that. Though. Oh, he used it in the tweet when he was, uh, you know, tweeting out, you know. Um, and, and that's really, you know, the fact that they won that game, the way they win it, it's like, but that's the way that you're going to have to beat this Montreal team because they don't want to be physical. They want to kind of skate around you. They want to use their speed, and you have to make them play your style of game, and that's what the Flyers were able to do. They made them do something – that they didn't want to do, and that's why you sneak out of there with the one nothing win. Although, man, they got to find a way to, to start connecting on the offensive side. No doubt, and let's look at the top guns. I know Claude Giroux put the puck on that and Voracek scored, but you need more out of them. You need more out of the top six offensively. Scott Lawton, Kevin Hayes, TK, I want more out of them offensively. Claude Giroux, I want more out of him offensively. They need to step up. That's an issue, not even on the power play, just in general. And something I want to bring up to Kevin Durso, who's going to be on with us at 2.30, is the fact that the Flyers continue to throw the puck around, like when they dump it in. They dump it in the offensive zone, and they allow Carey Price to get the puck. Carey Price gets the puck and moves it to the defenseman real quick, and that takes away the Flyers' forecheck. Put it in the corner so Carey Price can't play it, and then you go get on the forecheck. Carey Price continues to stop the Flyers' forecheck, which is one of the best things the Flyers have for them. And that has to change, or it's going to be a problem. Uh, Sports Pass Live, you can hit us up on the text board, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. i got a bunch of people texting in saying they can't hear me. Can you hear me? I hear you perfectly. Can people hear me out there? I'm apologizing if you couldn't hear me. Maybe some people like the fact that they didn't hear me. We got a whole bunch of texts that came flooding in that said, they couldn't hear me, and then uh, some other people saying that the audio was a little scratchy. But uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, you couldn't. I don't know. I, Josh says, "Josh, you can hear me. I can. No. I, I got, can hear you. You perfect. can hear me. He can hear Literally me. I don't perfect. know what you guys are listening to out there. They're telling me they can't hear me. I don't know. So you just told me I just ranted for ten minutes. You missed one of the most epic ramps of all time. Of all and time, now you're, you're telling. <laughs> of all time, this is the greatest, yeah. and you missed it. No, nah, I didn't. I didn't really <laughs> rant, but I. I will say this. Uh, the game on Friday, the 3 o'clock game. Number one, I don't like the 3 o'clock playoff game. Well, we got another one coming up on I, us. I, I can't get uh, – and, you know, I, I I just couldn't get into it, man. Well, I maybe it's because the game time. stunk. It was. I mean, <laughs> they, they were terrible in that game. So what changed from that game to this game? Well, the mentality changed. I think the, the Canadians controlled that entire game, and they came out maybe a little pumped up and juiced up because of the whole Claude Julian thing, playing for their head coach, and they had this extra attitude with them. They were so fast. The Flyers came out flat, but the speed of the Canadians was the reason, and it seemed like Elaine Vigneault made an adjustment, putting Raffle in, taking Ghost out, and putting in Robert Haig. That allowed the team to play a, a physical game, not an insanely 1990-style physical, but 
physical in terms of how 2020 is played, and that took away the, the speed of the Canadians to an extent. They still had it, but that allowed the Flyers to dictate a little bit more of their pace because of the fact that they played a physical style of play. So it, it was an adjustment by Elaine Vigneault to take out Joel Farabee, which I thought was a little bit shocking, and take out Ghost, which I thought was going to happen. But because he made those adjustments and he made sure he told the team, let's throw the body, let's throw some hits, that allowed the Flyers to maybe take a little bit more control of the game because the Canadian speed is a problem. There's no question, and and I think that's one of the reasons why I keep hearing those same guys' names because those guys are a pain guy. in the ass. Now, yes. now, my dad's your classic 1970s Flyers, like eh, Broad Street Bullies guy, and I call, he called me after the game. What'd you think? You know, we were talking about it. Oh, I hate Max Domi. I once I hate his father. Remember the time when he, you know, it goes back into the penalty box story, like typical standard 70s all Broad Street Bullies. I'm like, Dad, it's a different style, you know? Like, he's yeah. all, oh, I want that, Max Domi. Oh, I hate his father. Well, Domi's Relax. a much more skilled player than his father, oh, but he's no still doubt. a pain in the ass. Absolutely. You know, he's he reminds skill. me a little bit uh, of like a like a better version, maybe, of Barnaby. Ooh. Ooh. Hate the face. Barnaby was a pain in the ass, but he had some skill. Yeah, Not, he good- wasn't like a... He wasn't like a sniper or anything, but he could put the biscuit in the basket. Yeah, he could put the biscuit in. I think Max Domi has a little bit more skill. I'm saying, than I'm him, saying but I'm he's with you. I see a the better comparison. version, a better version, just like the pain in the ass who does have skill, not just like his father was just a goon. <laughs> his father was definitely a goon. Just a total goon. But uh, hey, look, I, I look at the Flyers and say, if you can win by not playing your ideal game, okay. And that shows you the advantage of having a goalie because if they have Michael Layton or if they have some you know rando goalie that they've gone with over the years eh, they probably lose that game 3-1 last night absolutely this next game is huge and we brought up the fact uh, that you're giving a, me a three o'clocker there's a back-to-back though and Carter Hart Brian Elliott what do you do you need to win this next game 3-1 is huge compared to 2-2 and then you're on a back-to-back what do you do in that scenario well, this is a scenario that we brought up uh, last week was that if you got into this spot you know if you were up 3-0, and he played, then you would probably go to Elliott, and then it's possibly 3-1, and then maybe you go for the closeout on Friday. But because you lose that game, this tomorrow's game, if you can get up 3-1, do you go to Elliott? And if you lose, do you go back to Hart? I think that's the two scenarios. We'll ask Durso about that coming up in about 15 minutes, but how do you play it? I think you got to win Tuesday's game. I mean, I don't you know have to win Tuesday's during the game. course of the year, has Carter Hart ever played back-to-back? i got to imagine no. I don't know off the top of my head, to be honest with you, but most times you don't see that happen. Right. In a regular season situation, I don't think that the the starting goaltender anymore in today's world is playing back-to-back days. No. it's Well, I guess the only difference is you're getting the 3 o'clock in the afternoon gives them about four extra hours of getting out of there. I think you got to focus on taking the series up 3-1, right? And it's not like they're going to lose just because Brian Elliott's in net, but I don't think that you get the 23-save shutout with Brian Elliott in net yesterday. No. That's not a knock on Elliott. It's just really praising what Carter Hart brings to the table. No, Hart was uh, – and, and look, it came down to the last, you know, 30 seconds where it's six on five and that one-timer right in front of the net. I mean, it is like you're just waiting for that thing to find a little hole because of – you know, let's be honest, the pressure they were putting on you in the last, like, three minutes or so, you're like, my God, can they just hold on to this? And they didn't really get a good look until about 30 seconds left when that one was right in front, and boom, there he is. Yeah, Pro Rob had a turnover there. 
A lot of posts hit, too. But I, I thought that was overblown. There were a couple crossbars that could have went bar down. Instead, they went bar out. There were a couple close ones. But there were a lot of posts that were hit that hit the outside of the post and went towards the back of the net and, and hit the boards behind the net. A lot of posts that I didn't think it was really close, even though it hit the post. So I thought that narrative was a little overblown throughout like the post-game show of the NBC broadcast. No Jim Jackson on the call. We had all of the... The um, national feed yeah, last John night. John Forsland. Mike Milberry, come on. I can't stand it. PT's all fired up when he gets Mike Milberry tweeting away. Yeah. Can't stand him. PT's a, a Milberry hate guy. A lot of people. I think 99.9% <laughs> of hockey fans are a hate Mike Milberry guy. Yeah. I, you know, overall, uh, the game was really boring. <laughs> it was really boring. It was like, oh, my God, can this thing end? Like, you ever watch a playoff game thinking, can you this thing get over? I want to go to bed. Well, no, but. Did I don't you, know. Did you not feel that way? Not like, really. Oh, my God, this game. I mean, yeah, at the end, you're sitting on the edge of the seat or the couch or whatever, and you're pacing around like, and they just close this thing out. But I got to be honest, though. The no fans does kind of. It's hurting you? It brings me I in. think in this series, it's way more noticeable than other ones. If you watch that Dallas Stars-Calgary ending and you watch some of these other series, I, I think it's different than this one. This one has a little less juice than some of the other ones for me. I don't know why that is. I don't, I mean, and I don't think it's as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's starting to get where it's like, it's not the same. It Really? It's wearing out on you? I think it's just like, you know, there's moments. The excitement of just sports being back is wearing out on you a bit. Uh, Well, there's so much coming at you at the same time. I mean, you got a NBA playoff game on right now. And by the way, I'm going to state this at, before these as these playoffs have tipped off now. They are officially underway, the NBA playoffs. My pick to win the West is Denver. Now, do they win the title in your eyes? Um, nope, I'm going to go Milwaukee. So where do the Sixers fall? Mm, Round one? We'll get to that coming up. <laughs> Jason Blevins at 3 o'clock today, Sixers and Celtics, because we have a lot on that. We got a lot to kind of break down in that game because it looks like the Sixers are going to do – they're going to make another change to their starting lineup, it feels like, doesn't it? It's possible. You heard Brett Brown say it's very possible that someone slides into that starting rotation. Which would be yet another change to the starting lineup uh, right before these playoffs start. But I actually think it's a good change. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But I, I do want to get to this. So um, the first line. They did score last night. You get that Voracek kind of, uh, I don't hit know, off his redirection pants. or yeah, whatever you got there. hit off his pants, there. went to the blue paint. Can they win if this first line is still continuing to not put up any points? They can win because all season long, one of the reasons why they did win was because that second line was because that, that third line That second line, line was up. scorching hot, and now they've cooled off. And that's the problem. So to answer your question, can they win if the first line doesn't get going? Yes, you're just going to have to have other lines step up. Can they go win the cup without their first line getting on the board? Probably not. But in terms of this series, yeah, I think they do. Uh, something that I question, if they're getting such a hard time and they're struggling to get out of the zone and the time and space isn't there for them with the Montreal Canadiens, how are they going to match up against some of these other teams? Because there's better teams out there than the Canadians. Now, the Canadians have nothing to lose. They came into this thing as a 12 seed. They're going out free-minded, playing hockey, having fun. They have nothing to lose. So it's a different though, scenario. On the fact that they are the 12 seed, okay, normally if you hear, okay, this team didn't belong in the playoffs, they were a 12 seed, they're not 
as a 12 seed, their record wasn't like they were 10 games. They were like a 500 team. So it wasn't like, I think, I'm pretty sure they were like 31 and 31, right? I got to double check that. But the fact is they aren't, yeah, they were, oh, no, I'm wrong about that. They were 31 and 40. So, yeah, they were not very good. Where did I see last night? Someone flashed on the screen 31, 31, and 9, I thought they wrote. They had. Well, that would make it 31 and 40 if you add up the overtime losses. Maybe that's what they did. You know what I mean? 31, 31, and 9 is essentially 31 and 40. Gotcha. Okay, yep. So that must have been what they did. Okay. The overtime losses is 9, yeah. So they're 31 and 40. I was going to say, oh, 31 and 31, not as bad as you would think for someone in the 12th spot. Like, they weren't just an abomination. They were about 500. And that's why I told you heading into this thing that there's teams that just make runs, and there's teams that get hot and they do the right thing, and you got Carey Price in net, which is always something, as we're seeing right now with Carter Hart, that can change a whole series. So – they're just playing free-minded, I think. And with this series, I do believe the Flyers are going to hold on to this thing and, and find a way to grind it out and get the W. But they do need to play better. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They can't be turning the puck over like they have been. They can't be giving away grade-A scoring chances. They need to produce more offensively. And then the power play has to change. They need to get back to keeping it simple, walking the blue line, getting shots on net, and taking away Carey Price's eyes. Yeah, well, I thought the two big differences in the game, obviously, one, Carter Hart, two, the block shots. I mean, Niskanen, I think, had like six block shots last night. Um, that's, that's a huge difference maker. The fact that they had 24 block shots and the Canadians had 23 total shots is truly telling to the system of, hey, I'm eating this thing. You know, I'm taking it wherever it hits me. You saw a couple slow-mos of Albay Cabell blocking shots and Derek Grant blocking shots. I loved it. That's what I had to do. Durso has five takeaways on the win. You can go to 973ESPN.com and check that out right now. He's going to break them down with us in audio form coming up in about nine minutes from now here on the Sports Bash Live on 973 ESPN. You can hear game four tomorrow at 3 o'clock, and then Game 5 is right on Wednesday night. That time has come out. That is an 8 o'clock start for Game 5. So you're going to get a 3 o'clock Tuesday and an 8 o'clock on Wednesday. Now, remember, the Sixers play at night at 6.30. They also play Wednesday at 6.30. You know, I don't – you know, the Sixers and Flyers now line up a couple of days here. You have tomorrow nothing uh, – excuse me, tonight Sixers, tomorrow Flyers at 3.00. Then you have on Wednesday, Sixers 6.30, Flyers at 8. So you're going to get overlap in the first period of that game, which means you're going to miss. Do you flip off Sixers and go to get the puck drop? Yeah, I'm going to have to. It's a big game. I'm going to have to. I don't have much faith on the Sixers. I'm not going to lie. I'm not very optimistic with this team. Okay. Well, what if they win game one? Ooh. Wow, it's a different scenario now. All of a sudden, you're up one game to nothing. You got a 630 tip. If I had so one television. That game, that game's starting first. So 630 tip. I'll, I'll see the flow of it. Right. If they're down 20, then I'll fourth easily quarter, the other Fourth one. quarter, two-point game. Defense. Mm. Who's doing that? Prep round on the sides nah, of the bench. They, they got some some piped in. It's actually <laughs> See, a you Boston. hit me with the defense. It's Jen. a Boston game. It's yeah. a home game for yeah. Boston. Well, that's an automatic so loss for the getting, Sixers. Yeah, but you're not getting a defense chant in. Damn it. <laughs> uh, Thursday. This is what we got coming up. Okay, sports fans, get yourselves ready. Put on a seatbelt and get yourself strapped in and ready to go because this week is about to get nuts. Tonight at six thirty, it's the Sixers and Boston. Game one, tomorrow at 3, Flyers-Canadians, game four, 3 o'clock. 
Wednesday, Sixers-Boston, 6.30, followed by Flyers-Canadians. That puck drop is at 8. We'll have both games on 97.3. We'll pick up that Flyers game about midway through the first period. Thursday was supposed to be Eagles-Miami. That game got canceled. Now you're looking at an off day for the two Flyer uh, Philly teams. Friday, same scenario. Sixers-Boston, Flyers-Canadians. Don't know the time on that Flyers-Canadians game. But, my gosh, I hope it's not 3 o'clock in the afternoon again. Well, what time's the Sixers? Do we know that? 6.30. Oh, that's a 6.30 game as well. Yeah. So you might get Flyers at 3, Sixers at 6.30. Well, they have been flip-flopping. Yeah. So it does look like it lines up for possibly a 3 o'clock. And then on Saturday, uh, you have nothing. Sunday, you have Sixers at 1. Oh, that's a good time. Flyers game 7, time to be determined. And the Phillies-Braves, 6 o'clock Sunday night baseball on 97.3, depending on whether or not there's a conflict. I mean, if the Flyers play at 6 or 7 or 8, we'll probably go. How about this, Gil? You won't even need game 7. You don't even need game 7. I know. I hope you're right about that. I'm just saying, it's getting nuts, man. It is, and I'm so excited. I'm so overwhelmed. You got Zach Wheeler throwing a nice game. You had that bonkers Saturday Phillies game with Hector Neris blowing it, Roman Quinn coming home with Bryce Harper hitting the walk-off. It's nuts, Spencer Howard, Alec Boehm. Everything going on with the Phillies is so much fun. You got Sixers kicking off. You got the Flyers on this crazy run. I love it. Yeah, I love to see what you guys think about all the sports going on. I know we didn't have sports for a long time, but I'm actually like – can you give me August like this all the time? Because normally all I get is preseason football. I will gladly trade you preseason football for everything that I got going right now. You know what's funny? That's Saturday. You said that we have nothing. What are we going to do with our lives? Well, I mean, you got no local teams playing, but I mean, you got all sorts of NBA, NHL, That's baseball. True. Everything's going on. That's true. But sometimes it's not the same. Quick draw from the New Jersey Lottery. $1 bet could win up to $100,000. Chances to win every four minutes, so get the quick thrill of quick draw because anything can happen in Jersey. All right, I'm Mike Gill. That's Hunter Brody. This is the Sports Bash. Kevin Durso on the Flyers win and game number four tomorrow. He's got updates for us. You want to hear them next. Offseason. By no means are we a finished product. What offseason? It's foot. Uh, Carter Hart bails the Flyers out again. Can he continue to do it? Is that what they're going to need to advance against this pesky little Montreal Canadiens team? They lead the series two games to one. You can hear game four tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN. Flyers coverage on 97.3 is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now and they'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com. Win real money with their sports book along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You can hit us up on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board, 609-403-0973. We got anytime hotline flyers calls after the win. Interested to see if people were frustrated, pumped. How do you feel after that greasy flyers win? That's the way Elaine Vigneault put it. Kevin Derso joins us now with his takeaways from the win. And what should we look forward to in game four at Kevin underscore Durso as he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. All right, Durso, uh, power play dreadful last night, but they get out of there in spite of the fact that they cannot score with the man advantage. I'm imagining that that was a topic of conversation today, so let's start there because they got to figure out what's going on with that. Yeah, it's the biggest area of concern right now. They scored on the first power play of the series in game one, 
and then let two other opportunities get away from them in, in that game. In game two, even with the final score being 5 nothing, they were 0-5 for 5 on the power play. They had a lengthy 5-on-3 that could have changed that game while they were still down 3 nothing. Sunday's game, another 0-for-6 night, including a four-minute power play early in the game that they let get away as well. There's a method to some of the madness here from this. This is, a, in part, Montreal doing a really good job on the penalty kill. They, their strategy is pretty easy to see at this point. They have one forward who puts the pressure in the offensive zone on the forecheck. They have another who kind of lingers at the neutral zone. And these two are the ones that apply all the pressure. The defensemen stand up at the blue line, take that space away. There's limited options. And the Flyers have resorted to dump and chase an awful lot in this series. And I heard you guys talking about it just a few minutes ago. It's the perfect scenario for the Canadians because they don't care if Carey Price comes out of the net and then plays the puck. He's essentially a third defenseman out there. He moves the puck to the next guy, and they cycle it out of the zone, and it's another clear, and there's no way for the Flyers to get set up. It's a good way to prevent the Flyers from doing much of anything on a power play. I mean, this is how they shut it down so far. And in games where you're going to get five or six power plays, you've got to find a way to take advantage. And – you can't do it with the way that they've been doing it so far. I think that's the biggest area of adjustment that's needed. You can't try cross-ice passes. You can't get those one-timers you're looking for. You haven't been able to cycle the puck at the perfect backdoor slam dunk play on the side of the net. It's just, you know, they've been able to do that against other teams. They haven't against this team, and you've got to make the adjustments. I don't know if it'll be personnel adjustments. I think you're going to still see the best players they have on the ice, but you're going to have to change something in terms of the way that they move around, the way that they cycle the puck, the way that they try to funnel it to the net in some way because you've got to start doing something other than what's been going on. There was one one or two things I saw on the very first power play of the game last night. You know, Travis Konechny had some open space and takes a shot that hits the crossbar, and Jake Borchek got some open space and tried to jam play at the side of the net. Those are things that can be effective when you have the space to do them, but you've got to try to work on some other stuff because you're letting too many power plays get away from you. Something I noticed was, you see how the first goal went in. Claude Giroux, after an offensive zone draw, takes a shot from the boards, it hits off Jake Voracek, and it goes in. So you would think that you already saw taking shots from anywhere and getting to the blue paint work. So when it comes to this power play, don't you think simplifying should be the answer? You mentioned the cross-ice passing, which got picked off a couple times, and going down below the goal line and trying to go hard to the blue paint from that angle hasn't worked. What about getting it to Ivan Provorov, or even maybe throwing someone like Travis Sanheim out up top and throwing pucks on net and getting in front of the blue paint? You saw that actually work in Game 1 when Ivan Provorov took that one-timer on, on the top. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if we're talking power play or five on five. To beat Carey Price, you need traffic to the net and you need shot volume. And, you know, the, the first goal, the only goal of the game last night, that's what you had. You had traffic at the net with the goal for Jake Voracek. And what you're not seeing is the shot volume here. The Flyers played Montreal three times in the regular season. And two times they faced Carey Price. In the two games against Carey Price, they took 43 shots in the first game and 41 in the second game. And look, look. Carey Price is not unbeatable on shots without traffic. If you shoot from all angles and if you pepper him with shots, then he, there's a chance that one of them will leak through at some point. Sean Couturier scored an overtime goal against him in November doing just that. It was a shot that just leaked under his arm. It's the 43rd out of the game that they take, and if you have the shot volume, you've got a shot of having one make its way through. But if you don't, it's an uphill climb against this team because they just, they just work really hard. They play good defense. They attack on the forecheck. They forecheck. They pressure you into making bad decisions with the puck. And a lot of what they're doing on the penalty kill is what they also are doing at 5-1-5. Kevin Derso on the Flyers. Uh, you know, obviously Carter Hart was outstanding. 
Um, but I guess the question will be, for the Flyers to make a deep run, um, they can't keep winning games in this method, right? You can't keep relying on him every night. Or can they? Is he that good that they have the hot goalie? And he's that good that they can lean on him in, in games. I don't know how often you want to do that, but they can lean on him for sure. And I think that, you know, it, it says a lot for him to bounce back the way that he did again. You know, I, I don't know. It shouldn't be surprising anymore. I thought Jake Borchak had a great quote after the game where he said that he's kind of oblivious to being a goalie in Philadelphia. And that seems to work to his advantage because for, for years and years, for decades and decades, this has been the missing piece to, to competitive Flyers teams. It's been, they might have some good scoring forward. They might have a, a few good defensemen. They might have all those other pieces in place, but they never had the goalie that could lead them and carry them through the playoffs. Now it seems to be that they have a goalie who has the ability to. He's, he's shown flashes of it. And I think that what was interesting about this game, too, and part of the takeaways I had in this also was, you know, he's had moments where you see the comparisons to Carey Price just come out in full force. He has that same calm, cool, collected demeanor in the crease. He doesn't get rattled easily. He bounces back from the rough start. He's posted numbers in these playoffs so far that are outstanding, that only really the only goalie who can even compete with these numbers that Carter Hart's put up is Carey Price. And it's pretty interesting to see how how that they level off in that similar fashion right now. That Carter Hart has been as good as advertised, if not better, in two of the three games. And I, I said with Josh on after game two, I don't even think that game two was really all his fault. He got left out to dry in that game, and you saw what happened when he had a little bit of he had better play in front of him, had more support. The block shots were a huge part of this game yesterday, and that helps him to be even more on his game because he gets the support. Yeah. So this is what you get. You get performances like this, and he's got the ability to, especially in a game like that, one nothing. you're holding on to that one goal for the entire way almost. He blocked it down the entire time, and every time it seemed like there was a moment where, you know, we talked about Scott Lawton's turnovers or that play at the very end of the game there where the puck, you know, Ivan Provost trying to clear the puck and it hits off of a shin pad and then leads to a mini 2-on-1 or 2-on-0 in front of the net. He makes that safe too, and it, you know it's moments like that where he's not out of position in any way. He's usually always lined up the right way, but you still get nervous about it because of the fact that in years past that's the one that goes in the net with with the Flyers, and in these cases it hasn't. And you've got a guy who's able to just look pressure in the face and shake it off like it's nothing. Yeah, and I was going to ask you because Friday they played at three, and that game we didn't really get to react to here on the radio, but. You know, you lose 5 nothing. he gets pulled. You just kind of hinted at it, but was the 5 nothing and him getting pulled indicative of his play? For him, I'm sure it was, because I, I think that somehow or other he still takes it personally in one way or another. I mean, he there was they had on, on the broadcast during game two, he skates off the ice after that fourth goal, he's getting pulled, and he goes to head up, to, up the tunnel to the locker room and slams the door behind him because he, he just, you know, obviously it was frustration for everybody, but he shoulders a lot of it, even when it's not necessarily his fault. He, he, you knew he was going to be on stack, and it, and it was just a matter of whether the team in front of him had the same kind of effort, and I thought that they did uh, in terms of at least protecting him. They kept a lot of things to the outside for Montreal. There wasn't a ton of those high-danger chances like there was in Game 2, and when there was, he took care of it. So I think that he definitely shoulders some of that, even if it's not all his fault. He wants to be the best he can be, and that's the determination he has. A.V. made some lineup changes. Joel Farabee out, Raffle in, Ghost out, Hagen. 
obviously he went for more of a physical approach. Do you think that A.V. stays with this type of method for the next game, or do you think Farabee can find his way back in the lineup with his speed? If there's going to be any change, I think Farabee would be the one who comes back in. I'm not really sure who would come out at this point. I mean, James Van Riemsdyk had the lowest ice time of any forward last night, which is surprising. Uh, at one point, you know, obviously at some point in time, A.V. just stopped putting him out there. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's other guys that you could see it, it being, too. I mean, I would like to believe that the most obvious choice to pull out of the lineup would probably be Nate Thompson in that situation. But Nate Thompson got a lot of significant minutes toward the end of that game and did his job for the most part. you, you got to give him credit. He did what he had to do, and he fits his role really well. So maybe that's where you try to make the adjustment, is that if James Van Riemsdyk is sitting on the bench and playing limited minutes, you get him out of the lineup, you put Joel Farabee in, because you know, Farabee is at least going to give you energy, and he's going to give you maybe more of a scoring touch than, you know, he's got one of the three goals in this series. Let's be honest about it. You know, there's only three goals in the series so far for the Flyers, and he's got one of them, and he didn't play in one of the games. So, you know, maybe to try to spark something a little bit, he's been that kind of spark plug for them at times, and I think that maybe that's where you go with it. I don't see him doing any changes on the defensive side. I think that Robert Haig's presence brought that physical edge that was needed. I hinted at the fact that I think that they should have tried to go that direction in game two because it was lacking in game one and they didn't. And I think that after getting blown out in game two, they knew they had to make a change like that just to keep up with what Montreal was bringing to them, which was the physical side, the speed, the need to have two guys on that pairing who stay at home and know their role really well. And I think you got much more of what you expect from the Flyers on the defensive side in that game because of it. It's interesting you bring up JVR, and I know we touched on this pretty recently, but him playing on the fourth line, it just doesn't make much sense to me. It seems like AV obviously is not a big fan of his game right now, but don't you think with a team that needs some more scoring that maybe moving him up in the lineup and maybe playing on that third line could benefit him more than playing on the fourth? It's hard for me to think that under 10 minutes and playing the least amount of time as a forward is right for JVR. I don't think he's that bad of a player where he shouldn't be playing more. Or You know, he's playing less than 10 minutes. It's just absurd to me to see where he is right now on this team. Well, it's funny you say that, Rose, because, you know, he started the game on the third line. And this is one of those players who AV has talked extensively about when it comes to needing to see more out of him. And I think very clearly at some point during the game, then, you know, something changed and he got bumped down and his ice time was significantly diminished. And as a result of that, you know, he starts to get fourth, fourth line time and you see him play in that kind of amount of ice time. And I think that that's why he becomes a candidate to come out of the lineup because I think, uh, you know, I think that Michael Roffel is a good fit on the fourth line and you saw him get up to the third line and, and for a moment, the second line, because, you know, AV's, made that threat before. If guys aren't playing to their full capability or not contributing in the way that he expects or bringing, bringing the right, right energy or whatever, he's going to move them around, and they might lose ice time as a result of it. So I think that it's very clearly a message that's being sent regarding that, that, he, that this is the forward who is seeing the least amount of ice time, and I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, it didn't surprise me as much. You know, I think on the surface I was surprised that Farabee was out for this game, but I think in hindsight it's not as much of a surprise given his size disadvantage. I mean, he's been hit pretty hard by Shea Weber a couple times in this series, and you can see the size differential there for sure. But I think at some point in time, if you're going to limit him to maybe 10 minutes a night anyway, there's no reason not to put Farabee in the lineup and to hold a guy like JVR out of the lineup if you can you know, if you can get some scoring touch out of him and get a little bit more energy because I don't think that Van Riemsdyk is bringing right now the way that A.V. wants to see. So that's 
something to watch out for for game four. All right, we'll leave you with this. Uh, any thought on the back-to-back if we see Carter Hart in both games, regardless of what happens, if they're up 3-1, do we see Brian Elliott? If it's 2-2, do we see Hart? Uh, has there any indication of what he will do with a back-to-back playoff game Tuesday and Wednesday? Well, there's no indication, but I, I have several different theories on this. And uh, First of all, I think Carter Hart's your starter for Game 4. No question about it. I don't see how you go with anybody else after his performance in Game 3. I think you have to go there, and I think you want to go with him anyway because of the fact that th- this is an opportunity to take a commanding lead in the series, to take the 3-1 lead, and set yourself up to win the series. So I think you have to put your best goaltender out there for Game 4, no question about it. But this is where it starts to get interesting. I think that if you if you had a game in front of you in Game Four that you win in similar fashion to Game Three, and the shot volume on Carter Hart is not that high, and he has a relatively calm game for all things you know all things considered, I don't think you hesitate to throw him back out there for Game Five and try to go for the series win right there. I, you know he hasn't played in the back to back at all this year. He did one time in his rookie year, and I had to go back and check to just see if there was any indication of why that may have worked out. And one of the things was it was a 1 o'clock Saturday game and a 6 o'clock Sunday game. And that's kind of that same time frame here, this 3 o'clock on Tuesday and 8 o'clock on Wednesday. So there's enough of a gap that maybe he feels comfortable with it. And, you know, I think the way that Carter Hart's playing can have an effect on Montreal in this series too because if Montreal didn't play a bad game in game three and they lose one nothing. It can be deflating if you play competitively for – two, three games, four games in a series if, you get, if it's similar in game four, and you lose two or three times out of that, you know, if the Canadians play another one nothing, 2-1 game and don't win in game four, and now they're facing elimination, it's going to be extremely deflating for that team. And you might be able to start to wear on their will a little bit. So I think you need to keep putting Carter Hart out there. As long as the circumstances allow, I think the only way you see Brian Elliott in game five is if Carter Hart has to stand on his head in game four and has to make something like, you know, like 33, 35 saves, something crazy like that um, to really require the rest factor. Otherwise, I think you just keep rolling with Carter Hart because, you know, Montreal is going to sit there at the other end. And even though the game's changed so much in in years when it comes to playing goalies, they're going to sit there and ride Gary Price as far as he's going to take them. I think you might have to do that with Carter Hart in the series, given how low scoring it is, given how key every save is. And I think that that's what you'll see from the Flyers quite possibly if it's not an extremely difficult game for Carter Hart uh, in game four. Uh, he's Kevin Dershow. And, of course, you can follow all his Flyers coverage on our website, 973ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Dershow. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. Thank you, pal. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Dershow. And he thinks it'll be Carter Hart. And he brought up point. Who does the research? He went and found that the only other time he's played back-to-back was a day game and then a night game. I know. Which is what you got here. How about that? Look at that research. The thing about JVR, though, if you remember, we signed him to $7 million per year. And now he might be a healthy scratch. He's definitely a candidate to that be a healthy a scratch. That was a Hextall signing. I mean, I like JVR here. I'm stunned not that, that just, he's I'm playing saying, this poorly. I'm just saying, too, that this regime did not pick him. Or sign him, or you know, it wasn't like they signed him, so maybe they would be like, "Hey, you got we signed this guy, you got to play him more." I trust AV, but I feel like JVR could be utilized differently. All right, coming up, 
Anytime hotline. We'll play some of your calls. We'll react. Jay Blevins on the Sixers-Celtics matchup because we've got a lot to break down in that one. Who's going to defend Jason Tatum? Who defends Kemba Walker? Who starts for the Sixers? That game's tonight at 6.30. South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Jay Blevins on the Sixers in seven minutes. We'll uh, preview this game tonight, which is, um, you're right. The, the Sixers feel like they've lost their luster. You know, Ben Simmons went out, and then they just didn't play all that well during the reseeding games. And it just seems like, you know, I, I joked last week, now you know why they did what they did to get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Because without Ben Simmons, you feel like the Sixers pre-process. Like they're playing in the playoffs, but you really don't even care. I don't feel like people have expectations for this team. I think it'll change maybe after game one, though. I do agree with you right now. It well, seems they like lose, there's more going on. it's really going to go out the window. You think so? Oh, if they lose, I think people are just com- – I mean, the few people it who It depends are- on how it looks. I don't Fair. know, man. I think if the few people that are like jazzed, I don't know how many people do you know that are jazzed up for the Sixers playoffs right now. Not many. Everyone's flyered up. I know that. I mean, everybody's been like flyers, flyers. I don't have anybody like. It's almost as if people didn't realize the Sixers restarted. If the Sixers lose ninety eight ninety six, I think that the conversation comes back. Maybe they could win game two. Things of that nature. If they lose a hundred and two to eighty two, then I think you're right. People are out. Uh, I, I'll tell you, like as much as the Sixers since the whole process, and now they started winning, and now where they are, they were right up there. The Eagles were number one. The Sixers have been number two. There's no question about it. They are lagging right now. Well, that's what happens when you get your star player getting hurt, but right? It goes back to that's why they did what they did to get that guy. Because if that guy was here, I bet you'd be more jazzed up about this playoff series. I wanted to see him defending Jason Tatum. I don't know who's going to defend Jason Tatum now. They got big problems in that area. This is a, you know, I think nationally, at least on the East, this is the matchup that everybody's talking about. Sixers, Celtics, a lot of the other ones that Heat, Indiana, like, they've had that little rivalry going, Butler and Warren, but Sixers-Celtics, man, this is this is the one everyone's kind of keying in on, and there's a lot to dissect. The Celtics are a heavy favorite in this series, by the way. But should they be? Asked Jason Blevins, and he writes about it right now at 97.3ESPN.com. Check out his article as he joins us next right here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline on the Sports Bash on 97.3ESPN and the free mobile app. It's flyer. 